What a blessed Sunday. Um, we're going to get into the passage for today. This is uh, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. We're continuing in our series from John. Last week, we paused from that a little bit as uh, uh, half of our church was up at the retreat, but now that we're all back together again, we're continuing our series in the book of John. And uh, given everything that we had going on today, this will probably be a, a shorter message, no guarantees, but that's what I say every time. Let me read through these verses. Uh, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is God's word. Uh, this passage, which may be very familiar to many of you if you've been in the church for a while, um, is a really, really special passage. It's an astounding miracle. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, but out of all the miracles that Jesus did, outside of his resurrection, okay, aside from his resurrection, that would need to be recorded in every gospel. This is the only other miracle, the only other miracle that all four gospel writers include. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This miracle is the only one that all of them include. Maybe this is why you've heard this story uh, several times, because if you've been in churches where they preach through either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, it's going to hit the feeding of the 5,000. This was, you know, so I can imagine how impactful this miracle was on the gospel writers, for them all to include this, all to write this down. Now, why did, why did Jesus do these miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000, or, or the healing of the sick, and, and all the different things that he did? Well, John, he recorded these miracles for us for a very specific purpose in his gospel. At the end of his gospel, chapter 20, uh, there's 21 chapters, but near the end, it says he wrote this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written, the, one that, the ones that he wrote down for the people, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is saying, why did I write down these miracles for you? Why did I record this? So that you can believe that Jesus Christ, he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is divine. He is God himself. And that by believing in him, you can experience life in his name. That's why John wrote down these miracles. In fact, at the end of the book of John, he says, there were many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So John is saying Jesus did hundreds, if not thousands of other miracles in the course of his three and a half years of public ministry. So many, in fact, that if we were to write them all down, there'd be no end to it. It'd be like, I grew up with Encyclopedia Britannica. Anybody else, uh, anybody did that? You know, my parents even bought the leather bound one or faux leather bound one because they thought I was, you know, Harvard bound or something. They were wrong, but I appreciated them. Massive, massive volume, uh, volumes of, of history and everything like that. I imagine John saying, if we wrote down every miracle Jesus did, it would be like it, it, Encyclopedia Britannica couldn't even hold all of that. You, you'd imagine, it's like, I'd imagine like every day Jesus is healing and casting out demons and performing different miracles. Why? Why did he do all of this? So that you can believe that he is the son of God, that he is God. And John has curated uh, several miracles in his gospel to that, uh, to that end. Now, you know, maybe... You might say, if, if you're not a Christian, for example, and, and we're so happy that you're here, if you're not a Christian, I would love to meet with you and talk with you afterwards and just say hello, but may, maybe you have this thought, like many of us probably did at one point, why should I believe that these miracles are real? Just because John wrote about them? This, that he wrote this 2,000 years ago? I'm supposed to believe that all of these miracles happened? What if they were a hoax? What if it was fake? What if it's all made up? That's a good question. Here's the thing. Here's, here's why I think that's not possible. First of all, nobody in the Gospels claims that Jesus' miracles were fake. As you read the Gospels, that's just not something that's claimed. People don't come and say, Jesus, you didn't really do that. That was some sleight of hand with the fish and the bread. That's fake. Nobody says that. Also, as far as I know, other people who wrote other things, not Bible, other people who wrote other things during the time of Jesus or the decades after Jesus, nobody claimed that these miracles were fake either. Nobody did. Why? Why is that the case? I believe it's because Jesus did so many miracles that people saw, not only saw, but people even participated in, they ate that bread, they ate that fish, that for anybody within the, the, the time of Jesus or the few decades after the life of Jesus to say that didn't really happen, they would have been a laughingstock because of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who experienced these miracles, who saw them, who ate the fish, who ate the bread and would be like, you're ridiculous. <laughs> because I ate that fish and I ate that bread, okay? Um, in one of the books we're reading right now in most of our community groups, 
why trust the Bible? Greg Gilbert, he, he put it this way. He said, first of all, pulling off a gigantic hoax of this kind would have been exceedingly difficult, if not impossible. For one thing, all 27 books of the New Testament were written within just a few decades of Jesus' life. That means that as those books were beginning to circulate, literally hundreds and probably even thousands of people were still alive who had seen Jesus and what he did with their own eyes. So if Luke, for example, was just making things up or even embellishing them, plenty of people around could have said, hold up, that didn't happen. You're fabricating your story, Luke. We have no record of anyone ever saying that. If they did, I think they probably would have been laughed out of town. This is why the, the religious leaders, they even didn't say Jesus was faking it. What did they say? Oh, you're doing miracles, all right, but you're doing it by the power of the devil. You remember? By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. They couldn't deny the miraculous things that Jesus was doing. They were just attributing it to a different source of power, which was also untrue. I mean, if Jesus was trying to fake his Messiahship or hood or dumb Messiahness, if he was trying to fake that, you don't, you don't do the stuff that he did, right? You do a kind of like a miracle for a smaller audience, right? You know, and uh, you, don't, you don't do it in front of 5,000, 10,000, including women and children. There are probably 20,000 people there. You don't do miracles that people can easily verify. You know, it's like, have you ever been to a magic show? You know, like the magician says, I, is there anybody in the audience who'd like to volunteer and come up on stage basically to prove that this is real? And somebody raises their hand and you're trying to get, you're like, me, me, me. And he picks that person over there. And you're like, is that person a stooge, right? That person is staged, right? That type of thing, not with Jesus. 20,000 people ate that fish ate that bread. You ever notice like fake healers or people who claim to have the power of healing, they oftentimes will pray for people with issues that you can't verify whether they got healed or not. I heard about this one healing conference where the person would invite people up with all sorts of internal issues, and, but somebody was trying to be wheeled up there in a wheelchair. This person wanted to go up there and they prevented the wheelchair from getting to the stage. Hmm, <laughs> interesting. Not with Jesus. He did it in front of everybody. 20,000 people ate that fish, ate that bread. Only more recently have people begun to come up with other things like, Jesus didn't actually do that miracle. You know, you know what it was? That little boy, he took out his bread and his fish and he shared. He shared. And then that inspired everybody else to share their lunch. And it became this massive sharing thing. And that's how everybody ate, which is absolutely ridiculous. Because it says at the end of this passage, the people tried to make Jesus king by force. They tried to grab him and said, this is the prophet who's coming to the world. Why? Because he inspired us to share. Is that going to overthrow the Roman Empire, the power of sharing? <laughs> I don't think so. It's because they saw him do a miracle. And they said, the Roman forces have no chance against this type of a person who can do these things. Jesus did these miracles um, so that we can believe that he is the Son of God. Now, that's background. That's background. I hope you believe in these miracles. If you're not a Christian, I hope this is something that you will consider and think about. But in terms of what's going on here, so Jesus had been, it looked like he'd been trying to get away, maybe go away on his own, 
um, get away with his disciples. But it says that the crowds were following him. So they saw him do all of these miraculous healings, and they were, they were flabbergasted. They were amazed, and they followed him. They chased Jesus wherever he went. The crowds were coming to him. They followed him. They, they didn't pack a lunch with them. They were so amazed by what they were seeing, they just dropped what they were doing, and they followed him. They wanted to see more. They were amazed. I probably would have done the same thing. You might have done the same thing as well. And they followed him, and Jesus was teaching them, and they spent pretty much probably the whole day with him, and the day, it's, it's coming to an end. People didn't have food. People are probably getting hungry, and there's nowhere to get food. And Jesus is thinking, if they, if they go, if they leave now, the other gospels tell us, they may faint on the way. They're, they're tired, and they're hungry. What are we going to do? So what does Jesus do? He looks to Philip. He says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And it says that he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew that he was going to do a miracle, and he was going to provide food for these people. He knew the end from the beginning. He's God. He understood that. But he wanted to see what Philip would say. He wanted to test Philip to understand what was in Philip's heart. What would it look like for Philip to pass this test? I think this is what it would have looked like for Philip to pass the test. Remember, Philip said, 200 denarii, 200 days worth of wages, wouldn't be able to be able to buy a little bit for people to eat. That's what he did say. What would it have looked like for Philip to pass the test? I think it would have looked like this. Philip would have said, there's nowhere to get food. We didn't pack enough. 20,000 people. But you know what? We're with you, Jesus. And as long as we're with you, no problem. No problem. Jesus, remember when you turned all that water into wine at the wedding in Cana? Remember when you, you cast out demons? Remember you healed all these sick people, all of those miracles that you did to feed us a meal? No problem. I don't know how you would do it. I don't know if you, you know, you just kind of like, you know, snap your fingers and food will just appear. But I know that you can do it because you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. I think that's what it would have looked like for Philip to pass the test. Jesus wanted to see what was in Philip's heart. Friends, I think the point of this, the point that we are to take away, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, the point that we are to take away from this is this. God wants us to believe that He can provide. That's what He wants to be within our hearts. He wants you and me to believe that as long as we have Jesus, as long as God is with us, that God can provide. Because that brings joy to His heart. That type of faith honors God. That type of faith brings glory to God. When we are in the desert, when we don't have food, when we're in that situation with 20,000 people, when we don't have the resources to be able to do it, we just look at Jesus, we look at God, we say, we can't do it, God, but you're with us. And because you're with us, 
anything is possible. Man, that brings such glory and honor to God. God loves hearts filled with faith like that. As a father, I can relate. I, I, I love the fact that my son Noah, my daughter Audrey, that they look at me and they believe that their daddy will always be with them and for them and be in their corner and provide for them and do everything that I can out of my love for them to care for them. I believe they have extreme confidence in that. And that brings joy to my heart. They don't side-eye me with suspicion all the time. Like, mommy, I don't know about this guy, you know. Like, we'll give him another year, see how he does. No, they look at me, they trust me, they know who I am, and they have confidence in that. And that honors me as a father. It honors me. God is honored. God is blessed. God is glorified when his people look at him and know that as long as we have God, things are okay. Things are okay. God, as long as we have you, even though I don't know my future, at times my future seems very uncertain. I don't know what's to come. I could be nervous about that, but instead I know that you will be with me in the future. And because of that, I have peace. I trust in you. That gives God glory. That honors the heart of God. When, when, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through pain, when, when difficult things happen to you, even in the midst of that, when you're able to say, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm comforted because I know God is with me. Even if, if that valley of the shadow of death is a long valley, even if God doesn't take that away from me, I know he's with me, and that comforts me, and that brings glory and honor to God. It pleases him when we look at him with that type of faith. There's a story I heard once about these villagers, farming community, that was desperate for rain. They needed rain. It had been raining, and if the rain doesn't come, their crops are going to die. That was their livelihood. They're going to be in big trouble. They were a believing community. They said, we need to pray that God would bring rain. And they said, we're going to call a prayer meeting tomorrow down in the town square. Everybody get out there. We're going to get together. We're going to call upon God for rain because we believe that God is good. We believe that God loves us. We believe that God will provide. Let's go. Let's pray. The next day, the whole town came out to gather together to pray rain. But out of all of those people there, there was one boy who came who was different from all the rest of the people because this one boy was the only person who brought an umbrella with him. Out of all those people. Man, that's the kind of... It, I think when God looked at all those people, it didn't matter if the person was an elder or a pastor, a deacon, a leader, or a worship leader... It was that boy that gave him the most joy and honor and pleasure in his heart because that boy said, I trust in God. I trust in God. God is with us. I know that we can depend upon him. God loves it and is glorified when his people look to him and know that he provides. When we look at the cross and when we say, if God gave his only son for us already, if Jesus died upon the cross, 
As it says in the Bible, he who gave his only son, he didn't spare his son, but he gave his only son for you. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God has already given his son Jesus to die upon the cross for the sins of all who believe in him, how can I not believe that God is in my corner, that I can trust God even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death? Even when God doesn't give me the health and the wealth and and everything that I would want, I know that God gives me everything that I need to be able to walk with him. That type of faith, it blesses and honors and glorifies God. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to believe that he can provide. Here's the second thing that God wants us to believe. The second thing that I believe that God wants us to believe, just a two-point message today, not only does God want us to believe that he can provide, but he wants us to believe that he can provide through us. Through me and through you in the lives of others. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? Because in the Gospel of Matthew, when Matthew writes about this same account, he includes something else in there. We see Jesus ask Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Matthew also records something else Jesus said. Jesus said this, when the people said, send them away to the town to go buy food, Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And at that point, the disciples were like, what? (laughs) Say what, Jesus? Are you kidding me? How in the world can we feed all of these people? That is impossible. Jesus, look, what do we got? What do we got? Anybody have anything? No. I got some chewed gum. I got, I, got, I got nothing. This kid, let's take that kid's lunch, right? This kid, he's got five barley loaves. You know what barley loaves? That's, that's bread that the poor people back then ate. This is like the, 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 the bread that, you know, this is not like the nice bakery bread. This is the about to be expired, like dollar bread. This is like the, the cheap stuff. These were poor people. They couldn't afford the good stuff. That was the type of bread this boy had. Five barley loaves. The fish were just probably pickled fish to eat together with this bread. This was the food that was eaten by the poor. In other words, the disciples were looking at their bread, they were looking at their fish, and they were saying, Jesus, we don't have anything. What we do have is, is hardly anything. We don't have anything to offer. Friends, have you ever, have you ever looked at yourself Have you ever thought about, yeah, I know, I know God, God has this great mission. He has this great, great commission that he wants us to be a part of. I know the Bible says his spiritual gifts, his spirit is within me and all that kind of stuff. I know all this stuff, but I just feel like, I don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel like I can really make a difference, that I can really serve God, that I can really do great things that he's called me to do for the sake of his name. Have you ever felt that way? I certainly have. I've looked at my life and I've said, a few barley loaves, a couple of fish, that's all I got, Jesus. But you know, this is exactly the situation that that it is an incredible opportunity. This is the situation through which God can receive the glory. Because you see, 
when we don't have much, when we realize that we are weak and broken and flawed people, we end up looking to God. And God works and God saves and God receives the glory. We see this again and again throughout Scripture. David, when he went to fight Goliath, what did he do? He brought a sling. He had a couple of rocks from the river. He was a boy. Goliath is this giant with a massive sword, a massive spear. I mean, what if David went out there and David was also like nine feet tall? David had a huge sword. David had a, few, had a big spear. Then what would happen? People start taking odds, right? Place your bets, right? 50-50. It could go either way. No way. Not with a little boy with a bunch of stones. But David said the battle belongs to the Lord. God got the glory. When Gideon, when God told Gideon to go fight the Midianites, not only was he the weakest in his clan, but when he was about to go out there with 10,000 people to fight hundreds of thousands of people, bad odds, but God said that's too many people. You might think that you saved yourself, that you were somehow able to do it. And what happened? He whittled it down until it was 300 men against hundreds of thousands in the Midianite army. And God delivered. And God received the glory. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this is how God works. God chose the foolish to, ch to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, if you are at that place where you feel like, I look at me, God. I, I'm not the most talented. I'm not the most educated. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the best singer or best uh, musician. I'm not the most I'm not. I don't have all those things, God, that some other people have. I haven't gone to Bible school. I haven't done this or I haven't done that. That's okay. That is an amazing place to be. Because if you choose to trust in God in that moment, you can bring glory to God. You have a choice. You can either believe, God, I can't do anything. Or you can believe, God, I can't do anything, but you can do anything. That is the choice that we are faced with. Brothers and sisters, don't look at your fish and your bread. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't look at your fish and your bread. Don't look at what others have said about you. Don't look at your background. Don't look at your, your finances. Don't look at your, the school you went to. Don't look at any of those things. Look at Jesus. That's what he wanted Philip and the disciples to do. I don't know about you, but I know that imposter syndrome is a really big thing nowadays, right? Just struggling with feeling like, man, do I really belong? You might feel that at work, right? Some of you may feel that at work. Man, I, I, don't, I don't think I belong in this company. I've been faking it for a while. Fake it till I make it or fake it till I break it in this company or something, but I don't know if I belong here. Some of you may look at Silicon Valley and the money and the wealth, and you may feel like, I don't know if I belong here. I feel like an imposter. I certainly feel like an imposter in that sense. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like an imposter in Christian ministry so often, so often. 
It has been a lifelong struggle for me where I'm a, I, I struggle with this fear that God, one day people may find out who I really am, that I don't have what it takes. I'm going to fail. And then people are going to look at me. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to say, well, Ulysses couldn't hack it. And they're going to say, well, I guess he is a worthless person. That's my fear. I shared this with our community group leaders before the community group season started as an encouragement to them. But I was sharing with them how when I, used to, when I first got invited back in the day to lead small groups, when I was a, a Christian back in like college and then when I was working, and I was so afraid that people would see through me that I didn't have what it took, that I would hope people didn't show up to small group. That was my goal. When I led small group, I would hope people didn't come. It's like, oh, Ulysses, I have a little, little <coughs> something in my throat. Should I come? No, 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 no. Stay home. Stay home. Stay home next week too. You know, I just, I, I just, I was just so fearful of failure and of people seeing and saying he doesn't have what it takes. He's a failure. He's a loser. It would paralyze me, and and it's still something I struggle with today. When I look at myself, when I look at myself. Instead of looking to Jesus, I look to my fish and my bread. But when, when Jesus, when he finishes this miracle, it says they gathered up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. That is significant. That number is recorded by all four gospel writers. Why? It's not a, it's not a meaningless inference. What, what, what God is saying, I believe, is that, look, there are 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is more than able to meet all the needs of the people of God. More than able to. And today, that means the church. The people of God is the church. That means you and me, when we put ourselves out there to serve God, to take that step of faith, He is more than able to provide for people and bless people through you and through me. Friends, and, and I want to encourage you, if you feel like all I've got are five loaves of barley bread and two fish, what, have I, what do I have for the Lord? If you just take that little bit and you take a step of faith and you say, I feel like this is so little, I feel so foolish about this. God, what can I do? Who am I? But I am going to offer that to you. Watch what God does with that. Because it's not you. It's not the bread. It's not the fish. Jesus is saying, eyes on me. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at the glory that I will bring to myself through you if you will just take that step of faith and look to me. Maybe, maybe some of you are there you're saying, I, you know, I, I, I can't lead anybody to Christ. I, I don't you know, I don't know what to say. I'm not an evangelist. I don't have the answers to all those questions. That's what we say when we look at our fish, when we look at our bread. But when we look at Jesus instead, we say things like, you know what? I'm going to take a step of faith and just be a little bit more open about my faith. I can initiate a conversation and I can just, I can, I can just let God do what he's going to do. I'm going to trust in him to let him take that conversation where he will and to let him speak through me and work in the lives of others. When we look at fish and bread, we may say, I don't know how to, I don't know, there's a broken person here going through so much. I don't know how to comfort this person. I don't know how to help them. I have no idea what to say. 
But when we look at Jesus, we say, you know what, I'm going to come, and maybe I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to have anything to say. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to mourn with this person. I'm going to be broken together with this person, and I'm going to offer that to God. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that God will use that compassion in ways that you don't even know to bless other people. We just offer our little bit of fish, a little bit of bread. How many of you have ever had somebody in your life, a brother or sister, say something encouraging to you? It might have just been a quick little thing, but it was what you needed to hear in that moment. And it was so powerful. You were so encouraged. It stayed with you. You remember it to this day. And if you were to bring it up to that person and you were to say, do you know how much you encouraged me that day? They might say, what? Really? I didn't know that. Wow, I I meant what I said, but I didn't realize what an impact it would have. When you just offer that fish and that bread, what Jesus can do with that to impact the lives of somebody else. Maybe, Maybe thank you to those of you who serve with our kids, those serving back there in our children's ministry. Maybe sometimes you look at that, you say, all I'm doing is like wiping snot. (laughs) All I'm doing is trying to teach them a Bible lesson and they're falling asleep during it. That's all I'm trying to do. I don't know if I'm getting through to anybody. You know how many stories there are of people? I, I do membership interviews in our church. I read everybody's testimony. Do you know how many stories there are of people who say, when I was young, somebody shared the gospel. Somebody did the Bible story. Somebody was there and told me about Jesus and that changed my life. That changed my life. That conversation, that willingness to be there, something that you may feel like, what? I didn't think I did anything. God took that and multiplied it. He did something amazing with it. He just asks, don't look at the fish and the bread. Look at me and give me your fish and your bread and see what I can do with that. When you invest your time, your resources, your energy, the little that you feel like you have to God, He can do immeasurably more than all that you can ask or imagine, as Ephesians chapter 3 tells us, because of the power of God that is at work in you. He can do that. Will you, will you offer yourself, brothers and sisters, this day? Maybe some of you are holding back. Maybe some of you are afraid of failure. Maybe some of you feel like you don't have what it takes. Would you take whatever you think you do have? Would you offer it to Jesus and see what he can do and bring him glory as he does that, brothers and sisters? Let me close with this. And I think I actually, wow. You know, I think there's something very interesting here as I close here. When we look at John chapter 4 and John chapter 6, there are certain parallels that stuck out to me here. If you remember, chapter 4 was about the Samaritan woman and those crowds of people that came, the whole Samaritan town to hear Jesus. There's some interesting things here. In both of those places, both of these passages, there is this lifting up of eyes and seeing the harvest, the crowds of people. It happens in both cases. In John 4, Jesus says, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, they're white for harvest. And I imagine the Samaritan crowds coming to him, coming to the disciples there. Lift up your eyes and look at these crowds. 
Here in John chapter 6, Jesus lifts up his eyes and he sees these crowds of Galileans, these crowds of Judeans who are coming to him. Both of them, the same. And in both of these passages, Jesus talks about bread. He talks about food. What does he say in both of these passages? In John chapter 4, basically what Jesus says is, you know, when, when the disciples said, when he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about, the disciples said, somebody give him food? Who gave him food? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 4, what Jesus is saying is, when you do the will of God, when you step out and do the will of God, I will feed you. I will feed you. Doing, walking with God, putting yourself out there, doing the will of God is, is one major way of how you grow, how you are filled by God, how you are encouraged, how you keep going. I feed you as you step out in faith. And in John chapter 6, likewise, he's saying, you know, when you do the will of God, when you step out and put yourself out there, I will also feed others through you. I will feed others through you. Friends, it's a win-win. It's a win-win when you take what you have and you put it out there for the kingdom of God. God feeds you as you do that, and he feeds others through you. God is fully committed to supporting those whose hearts are committed to him, whose hearts will try, whose hearts will step out saying, it's not about me, it's about you and how good you are and how the cross proves to me that you are with me, that you will never leave me nor forsake me and that the Holy Spirit has empowered me to be able to live this life that you've called me to live. That brings honor to God. Friends, there's so much, I know there's so much temptation in our day in age to kind of just come into church, come on a Sunday, listen to a message, kind of check off the church thing and, and to say like, I came, I listened, and I got fed. I got fed, and that's enough for me. I got fed. But according to John chapter 4, if you don't walk in the will of God, you actually end up starving, going hungry. There's also the other, the flip side. Maybe you come in, maybe you sit there, you listen to the Word of God, but you're afraid to take those steps, to put yourself out there for God, to serve Him, to share the gospel, to, to care for others, whatever it might be, because you're afraid that what you have is not enough. Jesus would say, look to me, look to me, take your eyes off the bread and the fish and look to me. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Oh, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you, I speak to those, I want to speak to you if you're like me. There's so much fear within me, so much fear of failure, so much fear that I don't have what it takes. But you know what it is when I really look inside at my own heart and I analyze my heart? There's, it's, it's about my name. It's about me afraid that the world will, will see me as a failure. It's about me. It's not about Christ. If you're like me, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, God has so gifted you. 
You have the Holy Spirit within you. Christ died for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He never calls you to do anything that he doesn't equip you to be able to do through the power of his Holy Spirit. He has called you to this amazing life of walking with him and he gives you everything that you need, as Peter said, for life and godliness. Everything that you need. Brothers and sisters, if you're like me, would you, would you, would you with me take that step of facing fear, facing fear, and maybe it's something that you need to do every day, a step at a time, but to face that fear and to say, Lord, I'm not going to look at myself. I'm not going look to at, look, at, look at my past. I am going to fix my eyes upon you. And that's going to be the basis for me seeking to walk with you, me seeking to share about the gospel, me seeking to be there for somebody, to care for a child, to, to, to serve to church, to, to get out there in this world and tell people about Jesus. I'm going to base all of this upon you, your faithfulness, and that you're the one who provides and who multiplies. Oh, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, would you Maybe for you right now, what God is calling you to do is to just to take that fear and to confess it and to bring it to him, to, to kind of even to say, hey, Jesus, you know, I, I want to walk with you in that way. I believe that you have, you have made this incredible adventure for me to be on in this life with you, but God, I'm scared. I'm scared, Lord God. I'm afraid. But I want to offer that fear to you, God, and I want, to, I want you to help me, Lord. Take my eyes and shift them to you. Shift them off of the bread, off of the fish, and on to the bread of life, on to the giver of all life, on to the one who calls me to be a fisher of men. Oh, Lord God, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you. We invite you. You're a good, good Father. You're a good, good Father. You love it so much when we trust you. You love it so much. You're so blessed. God, when we look to the cross, when we look to the Father's heart, and we believe that, that God, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? When we believe that in faith, God, Lord, that blesses your heart, that honors your name. Oh, God, fill us with your spirit to be able to believe that, God. Oh, Lord, we pray, come. Oh, God, we ask, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and bring a greater freedom here in this room. Lord God, we pray against any work in our heart. We pray against any work of the enemy. We pray against any spirits of intimidation or fear in the name of Jesus. We pray for a greater freedom this day through the power of your Spirit that we would be able to walk out of here, God, believing in a deeper way, in your goodness, in your faithfulness. That God, you don't call the equipped, but you equip the call, that that is who you are, oh God. Oh God, we pray, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Do that work in our hearts, oh God. Do that work in our hearts, oh God. Oh, Lord, Lord, we love you. We trust you. 
We love you. We trust you. Just take another moment. Just bring your heart to the Lord. Maybe for some of you, the challenge this morning is to just believe that God is really good, that God is for you, that he does love you. Maybe you've had experiences in your life that caused you to question that, to doubt that. Would you, would you come to God as well with your doubts, with your fears, with your, your hurt? And, and, and just even be honest with God. God, I don't understand. There are things within me, I'm, there are hurts from the past, Lord God. There, there are things there, Lord God, that keep me from trusting you, God. But Lord, I want, to, I want to believe that you are who you say you are, God. Would you help me to see you for who you are, God? Help me to see you for who you are, God. Oh, God, we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and minister in this room. Come and minister at this time. God, we bring you our hearts. We bring you our hearts because you are so good. You love it when we bring you our hearts. You love to heal. You love to bind up the brokenhearted. You love God to minister to your children, God. Lord, you love that because you are a good Father God. Lord, Lord God, may we not leave here the same, God. But Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be forever changed, God, through your grace this day, oh God. Oh, come. Oh, come, oh God. Can we just stand together right now? And I just want to ask one more time, can we just, can we just lift up our prayers to God and invite him and say, come, come God, come. Lord, help us to see. Help us to fix our eyes upon you. Oh God, we pray, come. Lord, have your way within us this day, oh God. God of love, God of faithfulness, God, the God who multiplies, the God who can do more than all that we imagine or believe. Oh, we pray, God, come. Let your Holy Spirit come. Let your Holy Spirit come, God, and fall upon our hearts this day. Oh, God, we, we want to trust in you, God. We want to trust in you, oh, God. We give you praise. We give you worship. We give you glory and honor, God. Come, God. Never the same, God. We don't want to be the same, God. Oh, Lord, change us, God. Praise. Praise, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. 